Can I get somebody to read the first five verses for us, please? Got it. Some men came down <clears throat> from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they uh, told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to, be, <clears throat> to obey the law of Moses. All right, thank you. Somebody recap that for me in your own words. What took place in those first five verses? Before then, before that happened, they were in Antioch and was issued and stuff. You got the Judaizers coming in. Yep. After these guys leave, after Paul and Barnabas leave, they come in and tell them, you know, it's kind of like you believers, and, and that's understandable. But these guys, they haven't told you everything. You've got to do this. You've got to be circumcised. These are things that you've got to do. And so they, they find out, they, they talk to uh, Paul and Barnabas, you know, and bad mouthing them all to these people. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, uh, they then head to Jerusalem. They get there so they can talk with the apostles and the elders there in which to uh, let them know how things were going there in, in, uh, in Antioch while they were there. And this whole thing kind of circles around the fact that uh, the uh, Gentiles being given false religion. And that's kind of where we stop at that point. Yep. And there, there are new Christians who are confused, mm -hmm. and they're confusing other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so this confusion is just spreading around. Um, Rex, your translation used the word question in verse 2. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 2 again. It says, When Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue is what Nasby says um, and yours said concerning this question. What is the, the question? Because nobody asked a, a question point blank, but what is a question um, that is being discussed here in verse 2? How to be saved? The law of Moses. Yeah, how to be saved, the law of Moses, and, and the role that it has on salvation. Right. Um, yeah, how does it apply to salvation? Um, so the question really was coming from, it was a, a natural result from a, a positive assertion. So these guys had come in, they had positively asserted, you guys need to be circumcised in order to receive the salvation. And they just came in and they, they just boldly said that, um, just dogmatically, this is how it is. And it instantly sparked a, a question, a, an issue was arisen because of that. And really that's how, uh, all the, well, the majority of the church councils that were to follow this came about. They were a response to false teaching of some sort. Somebody would come along, they would teach some sort of heretical doctrine about Christ, about Bible, about um, salvation, and 
that the church would come together and they would formulate um, some kind of response, some kind of answer to the, the question, um, the assertion of Paul's doctrine. Um, and this, in Acts 15, is where we see the really the first church council, um, the Jerusalem council, and um, what is it that they're, they're addressing here? Back in verse 1, who comes down, who are they addressing, what is the, um, the issue? Fifteen one. Who comes down? Who are they addressing? What is the issue that that arises? It says some men came down. That'd be the Judaizers, is that right? Yeah. And um, they were teaching the salvation by works. You've got to do something. It's it's not just a free gift. You've got to do something. You got to be circumcised. Some other ritualistic, legalistic stuff had to be done that they were that they were claiming. All right. So it's a a matter of soteriology, a matter of salvation. So this is. Of utmost importance. It's not some um, side doctrine. Um, not that there are doctrines that aren't important, but there are doctrines that aren't as important as the gospel, as salvation. So somebody could be off on their their pneumatology, their understanding of the Holy Spirit. Somebody could be off on uh, ecclesiology, on the church and the function of the church and um, the the role of the church. But when you're off on salvation. You're not a part of the church. You're not in the body of Christ. That is, um, as we talked about on Sunday, that is not just heretical. That is a, a damnable heresy. Um, and just uh, and on that, not everybody will make those distinctions in heretical or, or damnable heresies. So sometimes, um, uh, I think a, a majority of Christians will reserve the term heresy for damnable heresy, but. Um, when we're talking about salvation, talking about the gospel, that is definitely a, a damnable understood with pinpoint precision. And that's why this issue is is so important that they're getting ready to go up to Jerusalem to try to get it solved. Um, the, the purpose not only of this council, but of other councils that follow are really to come together to define terms, to make sure that we understand what we're talking about, that we're not talking pass each other and to embrace positions and to uh, make sure that I say we I guess I'm not there and I wasn't there but these people who are part of this church council wanted to embrace a position and uh, determine okay well was um, in this situation was circumcision uh, required for salvation or not and again you look down through church history and that's a, the same kind of thing that we'll see at the, the Council of Nicaea, Council of Chalcedon, they're trying to define their terminology and take a position. Um, and even more more recently, the the social justice and gospel, um, what is that called? The critical theory. No, the um, thing that came out. Oh, social the statement of the social justice and the gospel. So that statement was to define terminology and to declare a position to say that this is what we believe, this is what we don't believe, this is what we affirm, this is what we deny. Um, and that's been taking place all throughout church history, and this is really the first time that that happens in defining salvation. Um, any thoughts or questions up to this point? All right. 
you want to clarify that you have allergies and not coronavirus? I don't have coronavirus. <laughs> Although, that's not sounding too bad right now. <laughs> what was that, Mike? Did you have a test? I don't have a test. <laughs> so you don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's true. Good thing I'm six feet away. <laughs> but I've had allergies since I was a little tight, and this is definitely familiar. All right. Um, verse 3. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversations of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. So even on their way to Jerusalem to this council, um, they took the time to go through Phoenicia, to go through Samaria, these non-Jewish regions, and share with them, um, it says in great detail, the conversations they've had with the Gentiles. Um, brings joy to them. So these guys, they're described as brethren, and they're going through um, encouraging them and, and lifting them up and really making disciples of them. Uh, I know that we've talked recently, I don't remember which class it was in, uh, about disciple making and how it's not just something that you, you sit down and, and you do intentionally, but it's kind of an ongoing process um, where, where you're pouring into something and building them up. And we can see a glimpse of that here on their way to Jerusalem. Verse 4, when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all that God had done to them. Um, this is the second time we see um, they're going to the apostles and the elders. Uh, back up in verse 2, now here in verse 4, to the apostles and the elders. So we see that they're both um, in some kind of a, a leadership role, some kind of an authority role. And they're there making a decision, not just the apostles who uh, had walked with Christ, who had this special position in the church, but the elders also are uh, in this whole decision-making process trying to come together at, in this council and figure out what do we do about this assertion that circumcision is required. Verse 5, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. So what do you guys make of this? It calls them Pharisees who had believed, but then it says that they stood up and they said that circumcision was now necessary. That seems to be kind of conflicting, that they were believed Pharisees, yet they were saying they needed to be circumcised. What do we make of that? Yeah. That what did they have to do? I believe. So it seems that they believed in, in Jesus. They believed that um, Jesus was a Christ, that he had died, that he had raised, that he was a Messiah, which was unique for uh, any Pharisee, for any Jew to believe. Um, but they were not clear on the way of salvation. They they were steeped in their Judaism. They had grown up and for for centuries and centuries. They had lived by the law of, of Moses. Um, they had certain rules that they had to follow, certain things that they had to do, and um, this is something that they had carried with them into um, what they would just view as a, another sect, another denomination of Judaism, not realizing that this was a, a new covenant. You know something? Sure. Oh. Well, there is like, a, when you look at verse 1 and contrast it with verse 5, the guys in verse 1 are coming down to teach and to lead astray. The guys in verse 5 
they don't necessarily equate it with salvation, and it's just what they understood. I mean, I, you think about some people in this context who have a profession of faith, a seemingly credible profession of faith, and then two months later, they announce that they just found out there's no such thing as Heavenly Mother. And then now they have like a total faith crisis, and it's like, how did you not know that? <laughs> you, didn't you hear the gospel? Um, and it's, in, I mean, perhaps it's a case of uh, they, hadn't, they hadn't gotten clarification on that yet. Um, you know, when we think about the Trinity, for example, there are people who go to churches with a heretical view of the Trinity and try to teach a heretical view of God and lead people astray. And then there are people who get saved who don't understand the Trinity and perhaps are even teaching children or something like that and they don't even understand it themselves. But when they get confronted and then they, they, they yield to the Word of God on the matter, that, that reveals right there if they're truly converted. Um, just some thoughts. Yeah, just um, bad theology that's carried on into... Um, their, their understanding. Because because God's law never was, obey it and you'll be saved. That was never the case. And so they didn't understand it in the first place. It's just bad, like bad theology all yeah. the way around. And glancing down into verse 24, this is after everything's all settled and they um, they sent a letter off trying to rectify the, the bad teaching that has taken place. They said, since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words, unsettling your souls. So they seem to embrace them there um, as, as part of their number who have gone off and had this, uh, this errant teaching um, that, that they spread, which was unsettling to their souls. Joe, you had something? Could it be that their faith was built on the rock and they didn't come to fruition? Like the parable of the soils? Yeah, um, they recognize them as their number, whether or not they, they truly are. Only God knows me. We can't read the heart. Only God knows the heart. But they they recognize them as, as being part of it. Right? So, and this is like we was talking last week then where Paul then learned through the mistakes of not having somebody stay back there and you know, that can help these people mature. So it says, what, well, these guys were Pharisees of the Pharisee parties, believers of the Pharisee parties, and then they followed them out to Jerusalem, I don't know the distance that that is, but it's not like you can get on the MTA, it had to take a while to get down there, and but they're still claiming the same thing. They're claiming they're, they're, they're believers, new converts, but then they're coming right back up and saying, but you, on top of all that, you've got to be circumcised. And that's stuff I assume they learned from some of the other Judaizers, or were these guys the Judaizers? Um, I don't know that it's clear. There's been speculation that uh, this same group followed them, followed Paul and, and Silas around to all the different areas that they went all throughout Galatia. All the way down from Manion. Yeah, okay. these, these Judaizers. So a Judaizer is somebody who goes and um, adds to the gospel um, Jewish... Uh, regulations and it's just legalism saying that you guys who are not Jewish have to take and uh, adopt the Jewish practices that we've we've grown up with and Didn't embrace them for yourself. Jobs? <laughs> 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 I just said all the time in the world just to follow people around. Yeah. 
So uh, I'm just wondering, did anybody go back into the law of Moses where it was spelled out, where they were supposed to do this, the, the circumcision? You know, why was it put in place back then? Did, did anybody search that out? Uh, I don't know. So, but Paul definitely spoke against it. Right. So, so kind of what I see happening here is, okay, we all know Jesus came back. Like the law of Moses was before Jesus came to this earth and showed us exactly how to do it, right? Um, and so... Yeah, it was a, a tutor, a schoolmaster. To, right. To and so we have, like, the Pharisees, um, what if they went off the law of Moses? Yeah. So yeah, they, they were, were pretty wrong. harsh on that because they... they and then they out. added to the law, too. Right. So they didn't want to break the law of Moses, so in order right. to, to safeguard, they added these other laws to keep themselves farther back from the edge. Exactly. And so I see that kind of here, they're trying to add to God's story by saying, well, now you, you've got to be circumcised. But that, you know, Jesus did not say that. Be baptized, you know, repent, be baptized, be saved. Um, and they're trying to, you know, that, that's what they grew up in, though, like the law of Moses. And so they're just automatically putting that in there. And so if somebody coming in wasn't circumcised, they're saying, oh, you've got to be circumcised. You've got to be like us. That's how we were taught. You know, if you do different, you're not safe. Yeah, you and that's see not how, the story of God. No, yeah, that's not the gospel. So they're coming right. in, they're perverting the gospel. Again, uh -huh. this is a, um, the, the highest doctrine that, that could be tampered with. And so that's why they go to such great lengths. We're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to get this settled because the way of salvation is important. And you can see easily, hey Britt, I think you only need to. Britt. Um, you can see how um, somebody coming up um, in a Jewish house might be kind of slighted by the fact that these Gentiles get to be grafted in without having to go through um, what they saw as these necessary processes. So, you know, I, growing up, I had to be circumcised. I wasn't allowed to eat pork. I had to keep all these laws and all these rules. And, um, now these Gentiles just come along and they're just gifted this, this same salvation. We're supposed to be the chosen people of God. We're supposed to be the, the holy nation that's set apart for God. Um, kind of reminds me of that parable that Jesus told of the, the laborers and how he, the, the landowner went out and he got a bunch of people at like 8 a.m. and said, well, come on out. I'll give you a day's wage. I'll give you a denarius if you work for me. And they're like, okay. And, he kept going out, went out at noon, went out at two, went out at three, and then at the eleventh hour, right before the day was over, with one hour left, he went out and he said, "Come work for me," and he paid everybody the same wage. And the people before they felt slighted, and the owner said, "Well, it's it's my my money, it's my pay, it's my field. I'm at liberty to pay them whatever I please." Um, and that's the way that it is with the gospel. The gospel is all of grace, it's all of God. Um, the, the Jew doesn't earn their salvation any more or less than the, the Gentile does. But you can see, coming from that background, how somebody might have that, that perspective or that understanding. And that's the thing, is that they, if the Jews in the narrative understood how they were saved by grace, and the law was what came after as a means of revealing the holiness they were already given by faith, then the argument would be different through this narrative. The, the law was never keep this so that you may be saved. So the fact that they look at the Gentiles and say, they don't have to keep it to be saved like us? Well, you never had to keep it to be saved. God took you out of Egypt before he gave you the law. 
you were redeemed before he gave you the law. And so, um, when you, yeah, they, they, everybody has salvation wrong in this story. Yep. Except for the apostles and the elders. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the people in the church, they, they had it figured out. And later on, we'll see, I'm not sure if we'll see it this week or next week, but uh, I think it's Peter and his response. He says that um, we are saved in the same way that the Gentiles are saved, which would be completely backwards from what you might think. You might think that he would say, well, the Gentiles are saved in the same way that the Jews are saved, but he doesn't. He says the Jews are saved just as the Gentiles are saved by faith apart from works. So it's kind of interesting. So these guys inherited just kind of getting in their way. That's how it seems, yeah. Um, and you asked if anybody brought up um, circumcision, went back to the Old Testament and talked about the, the purpose of circumcision. Um, Paul does that all throughout Galatians. Let's turn to Galatians and check that out real quick. There's some disagreement, dispute about when Galatians was written. Some believe that it was written right before this chapter, between chapter 14 and 15. And then some believe it was written years later. But, yeah. <laughs> so you, you agree it was written before 15? That's how I agree. 14 and 15? Yeah. All right. I remember that, of course. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that would be a, an earlier day, 4950, right before this Jerusalem Council. That he, he totally would have mentioned the Jerusalem Council and go in. Yeah, remember when we got together and remember what, yeah. what Peter said, what James said. And so it seems like right before this, um, Paul had addressed this, this whole issue all through Revelations. So can I get somebody to read Galatians 2, 16? And then jump down to verse 21. I got it. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. All right, so just in that one verse, like three times he says that no flesh is going to be justified by the works of the law. By, by the works of the law, no flesh is going to be justified. No flesh will be justified by the works of the law. Like, he's getting repetitive, but it, he's making it clear that you are justified, you are declared righteous by your faith, not by what you do. And again, that's kind of speaking back, like you said, to this, this problem of their heritage that they're trying to overcome because that was their, their understanding, which... As, as Jeremy mentioned, even in the Old Testament, you weren't saved by, by keeping the law or by obeying the law, but it was a, a, a misunderstanding of the law and the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was always to drive us to the point of, um, or drive the Jews to the point of realizing that they were unable to keep it, to keep every mouth silence, the whole world held accountable to God, to make us realize our need for a Savior. Sorry, I cut you off there. Verse 21. I do, not, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. What a statement that is. Um, Christ died in vain, needlessly, if righteousness could come through the law. Um, pretty, pretty flat, uh, straight words from Paul there in Galatians. Um, will somebody else read Galatians 5, 6? And then another person get Galatians 6, 11 through 15. And these speak directly to, to circumcision and its, its place in the Old Testament and um, in the Gospel. I'll get 5, 6. Okay. Right now? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. Now, 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. All right. What were the first three words of that? For in Christ. For in Christ. So in Christ is, is vital there. In Christ, doesn't matter if you're circumcised, if you're not circumcised, because you are in Christ. It's his righteousness that, that makes us clean, that makes us right before God. Um, not our circumcision, not our uncircumcision. And will somebody grab 6, 11 through 15, please? 11 to 15? Yes, please. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. All right, so again, he just makes it clear. Circumcision, uncircumcision, Circumcision doesn't matter. Um, it's all about being uh, a new creation in Christ. All right, let's jump back to Acts 15. Uh, all right, where did we leave off? I think we're on verse 4, right? Uh, verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. All right. Um, verse. Six. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testifies to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. <coughs> All right, so this is the first of three messages that we'll see, um, one by uh, Peter and then by Paul and Barnabas and then James is going to speak of. They each kind of take turns going around a, a circle in this big council, giving reasons or evidences, proofs as to why um, circumcision isn't required for salvation. So looking back over verses 6 through 11, what does Peter cite as evidence for um, circumcision not being required? So they, they both received the Holy Spirit, and um, the Holy Spirit was evidence of salvation. He was the, the seal of salvation. Um, somebody look up Ephesians 1.13. While you're doing that, Ephesians. For when you heard the gospel of your salvation and believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's part of it. <laughs> All right, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit when you believed. I said, uh, when you heard the gospel and believed, 
I don't understand. <laughs> Good job. Thanks. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit was the seal, um, the the guarantee, the down payment, um, like a, an engagement ring, like a promise. Like you get the Holy Spirit now, you are in Christ. You are going to receive eternal life. You are going to receive uh, Christ Himself, the the bridegroom. You have the Holy Spirit as a, a seal, a down payment for for what is to come. Then Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So again, that same concept that we are sealed in the Holy Spirit and will one day be redeemed. Um, in Galatians 2, no, 3, I think it's Galatians 3, 2, and 3, says, This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So just a, a rhetorical people to recall the revelation that Paul went through on his first missionary journey in, uh, in Acts 13 and 14. And so he knew these guys. And he said, how did you receive the Holy Spirit? By faith or by the works of the law? And obviously they received the Holy Spirit by faith. Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Another rhetorical question. Obviously, they're not being perfected by the flesh. They're being perfected by the Holy Spirit. They need to continue in the Holy Spirit. Um, and he's just bringing this to, to their memory because, again, these Judaizers are coming in. They're spreading this false gospel and leading uh, these young believers astray with, with bad theology. Tyler, yes? Question. Um, the debate was that between the apostles, elders, and Judaizers, or between the apostles and elders? It's in 6, it says the apostles and elders came together to look into the matter, and in the beginning of verse 7 says after they had been much debate, Peter stood up. So who were, who was having the debate? Uh, I think discussion? that it would be with the Pharisees who had believed back in verse 5 saying it's necessary to circumcise them. So they're debating with the apostles and elders. And before that, back in verse 2, it says that Paul and Barnabas had no, had great dissension and debate with them. Um, what do other translations say? No small dissension, no small debate, right? Um, and that's what the people who came down from Judea um, originally, and they began this uh, Judaizing among the, the brethren there, saying that you had to add to the gospel. So the idea is there was pretty heated discussion, and Peter basically said, stood up and said, this is this is the way it is. Yeah. Okay, now, now listen, it's time to, to sit down and, and listen. I'm going to be back in Acts chapter 10, referring to that issue with Cornelius. Remember how he had had that issue with Cornelius and uh, that vision from above where the sheep came down and God told him, Peter, take and eat. He said, no, Lord. And so clean three times, he came down. And, um, then Cornelius knocks on his door and he realizes, oh, this is a, a Jewish man or a Gentile man. And, and God has just told me that um, what God has declared clean, let no man declare unclean. So the gospel is made available not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles also. Other thoughts or questions through whatever verse we were on. 11. 
I just, I guess the only reason I brought that up is it just, it really gives what Peter says there just a ton of, it, it, it comes across with just super authority. Because there's lots of debate, you can see this room kind of excited and heated, and it says much debate, probably went on for a while, and then you just see the, you know, the authority figure really in the room gets up and says, so it's not like, to me, it just, it's, I really like to look at, uh, you know, get into the story, and I, I can just see a really rowdy room, and Peter gets up and says, this is what it is. Yeah. Real authoritative. You know, Peter's kind of a, you know, soft guy anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Why did but, Peter just, at the very beginning, just say that? Why even listen to all the debate? Isn't it an open and shut case? I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> Dramatic effect. <laughs> Good leadership lets people talk. You know, you can hear where they're coming from. Yeah. Each side needs to meet in the middle. I mean, you need to each share your thought on why you think this way, and then you figure out the right way. You can't just pull the sword every time. <laughs> I think we, we need to realize that they were coming together to to try to determine or to decipher what is true. Um, I think that the, the apostles, the elders, they came into this situation knowing what the truth was. They knew the gospel. Um, they had been shown directly by, by God himself. Um, they just wanted to come together and again, define their terms and um, plant, their fat, plant their flags and say, this is um, the position that we're gonna hold that we're going to adopt um, as, a, as a group. So we want to come together united. And we'll see um, even throughout the rest of the narrative that they are definitely of, of one accord, that they're, um, they're all speaking the same thing. There's no disagreement or dissension among the, the leadership, the apostles and the elders. They, they all have the same understanding. Why does everybody tend to put God in their own little box, how they think God is? I kind of see that here. and then. And then when somebody doesn't fit that box in their way, you see the Lord went and yeah, I like how he says uh, he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Um, you know, so God, he chose them. And now we're having people fight among how God did it. Yeah. Really. Well, this was new to them. This was a, a mystery. So right. in the Old Testament, the, the Jews, they were God's special people. It was something that was uh, hidden. It was now being revealed for the first time. So this is brand new on the scene. But it is being revealed by, by God, by His chosen apostles. And so it was a, a transitional time. The, the whole book of Acts is a transitional book. We need to realize that. Acts is not a, a good book to to take doctrine out of and say, well, we need to uh, we need to follow this this order of salutis, this way of salvation, because it, it differs from time to time. But it's a uh, it's historical narrative, so it's telling us what happened in the way that it happened, and we can see the like Mark said, the real struggle. We can kind of get into the story. We can feel the the tension and realize that it wasn't all kind of dry. It wasn't black and white, but God through His chosen people, he began to, to reveal that, to make it clear, this progressive revelation that he reveals a little bit more as as time goes on. And so we now, looking back, we know more than, than they did back then. We have a, a completed canon. We have the, the whole New Testament. They 
back then, Paul had just barely written Galatians. And so that hadn't even circulated. These people didn't have a copy of it to, to refer to. So that aspect of progressive revelation, he's revealing a little bit at a time, uh, really comes into play here. It can be easy for us to look back and, and say, well, you guys are done. Why don't you just turn to, to this chapter, this verse, and see you know, what God had said. But there wasn't a, a book there. There weren't chapters. There weren't verses. There wasn't that revelation. God was revealing himself through the apostles in real time. <coughs> At least no one got their haircut. <laughs> Not here. <laughs> um, what, what do you guys see as a difference between, um, we just talked about Cornelius back in chapter 10. In chapter 8 we saw the Ethiopian eunuch. And these guys, they were Gentiles. They were outside of the Jewish faith. What differed from them versus the, the Christians that are now being debated over here in Acts 15? Can you rephrase that? That'd be a good idea. Uh, <laughs> so here in, in 15, these people are really um, kind of upset about the, maybe not upset, but they, they're disagreeing about how these Gentile Christians come into the fold, whether or not they need to be circumcised, um, if they need to follow the, the Old Testament law. And there didn't seem to be that, that kind of uprise or that kind of confusion at least revealed to us in chapter 10 with Cornelius or chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch. How do they differ from the believers that are in view here? I think possibly at that time it was so new um, and everything in 8 and 10 did the you know, the gospel is just barely coming out to the Gentiles. And so, just so new that they hadn't really, I don't think they even processed everything that's going on. And by the time we get to chapter 15, this is, you know, several years have gone by. So, um, I think people have, are starting to come up with and, and formulating ideas for back then. I mean, it was. It was right there, brand new, where people are having a chance, a longer period of time, to kind of you know, process this in their head. So more of an isolated incident with the other two. Well, I mean, yeah, they always. I mean, it, it was yeah, very new. I mean, the, those were the first few Gentiles that we see recorded uh, that had been converted. So it, it wasn't really even a debate. And there weren't really churches. Right. There was just in Jerusalem. They just had their little corner of Jerusalem up until that point. Uh, they started sending out people. Paul's missionary journey was pretty novel. So they're they're playing uh, away games at that point. <laughs> they hadn't done that yet. So. Yeah. And Peter still had to come. And um, when the there then um, when. And at eight, when he went, they had to go and you know confirm that these believers in Samaria did work in Burden. So there was some kind of like, I don't, I don't think yeah. that this can happen. So there was a little bit, but it wasn't over circumcision. It was just, I don't think that this is allowed. Yeah, and, and, and get the, the novelty of the whole thing. So. Will somebody turn to chapter ten and read the first two verses for us, there, please?
10, verse, the first two verses? Yes, please. Okay. And there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, the same centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, the devout man and one who feared God with all the household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and praised, prayed to God continually. All right, so how is, um, how is Cornelius described there? Devout man. He's a devout man, and he feared God. What do we remember that that phrase means? That he was a God-fearer. God-conscious. What's that? <laughs> conscious of God. God yeah, God. he's conscious of God, but there's uh, more, more nuance to that. He took on, they recognized Hebrew scriptures essentially as God's word to a degree, like the Ethiopian eunuch reading from Isaiah 53 and whatnot. Okay, so they were both kind of already steeped into Judaism a little bit. They were kind of Jewish converts. Uh, like I said, uh, Ethiopian eunuch, he's reading in Isaiah. Uh, Cornelius, he's mentioned as a God-fearer, so they had adopted Judaism already. And that's kind of the issue here in Acts 15. These Judaizers are coming in and saying, well, you have to first adopt uh, Judaism, and then you can adopt Christianity. You kind of have to go through this, this side door to get to Christ. Um, and we're going to see in the response later in Acts 15 that uh, these, these elders, these apostles, they all come together and say, no, you just go straight to Christ. You don't have to go through the law. Uh, get the law as a schoolmaster or tutor um, to, to train you up and to lead you to Christ. Um, not uh, a way to to get to Christ. I said that in a confusing way, but you don't have to go through Judaism to get to Christianity. That's not what the Ethiopian thought? Um, no, the, the, the Ethiopian and the and Cornelius, they had both already kind of embraced Judaism before, so I think that's why there wasn't as much of a fuss over them. Um, and these Judaizers who are now coming in, this whole debate that's rising up in Acts 15 is... Uh, saying that you have to first go through Judaism to get to Christ. You have to adopt these Jewish practices before you can have salvation in Christ. Were you going to say something more? Just the, the God-fears um, had converted to Judaism basically in every way except for circumcision. So they were fully instilled, like you said, except for they had not gone through the circumcision. So they were Gentiles converted to Judaism in every way except for um, and so it is kind of, you know, and, and it's a bigger deal to to make sure to mention that they, they had, you know, Cornelius hadn't been circumcised and he was, you know, coming in. So, yeah, um, that, that's, yeah, so that's what the God, God fears, that's what it is referring to there is someone that has converted to Judaism in every way except for circumcision. You even think back to the, the Old Testament, the temple and how that was set up and Remember, they had the, the court of the Gentiles on the outside, so they were welcome to come in to a point, but they couldn't come in past that. Um, that was that was special, that was reserved for the Jews, which is, again, why this kind of heritage-like thinking comes in, this defensive mentality. Um, go back to that parable, hey, I've been working all day, how come this guy gets the same pay that I do for working just an hour kind of mentality? Um, and that, that court of the Gentiles is, is no longer that we have been fully grafted in as Gentiles into Christ. 
uh, Romans 11, that, that curtain has been torn from top to bottom. We have direct access to Christ. And we don't have, um, we don't have a high priest to go through. We don't have an outer court that we are um, kept back in. And again, this is all completely brand new to, to the Jews and even to, the, um, to those who have embraced Christ. And so that's where they're all coming together to try to figure out where do we stand and how do we approach this um, this new mission field to the Gentiles. Uh, one more verse before we wrap up tonight. Verse 12 uh, says, All the people kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So Peter spoke for a little bit. Paul and Barnabas now step up and they say, hey, we've been going through all these regions and God has been working, he's been blessing. Why would he do that if salvation wasn't for the Gentiles? So Peter says, hey, they got the Holy Spirit. He is a seal of salvation. Um, Paul and Barnabas say, hey, not only have we been sent specifically as an apostle to the Gentiles, but God has blessed them with these, these miraculous wonders and works and signs. Obviously, he's doing something here. And you guys need to, to step back and, and recognize that and listen to what God has told us personally as his apostles. All right, thoughts or questions before we wrap up? Yeah. It seemed like they, they had the circumcision all wrong anyways. I mean, it was a sign of covenant. It was never a guarantee of salvation for the Jews. It was a sign that they were God's people, but there was Jews that weren't saved right? because they didn't have faith. They weren't. They weren't a. Um, they, they didn't believe in God. They worshipped uh, other idols. They didn't want other stuff, right? So they're they're still thinking it is what saves them, and they have a, a really low view of their sin. Um, they don't think their sin is bad enough that they can still burn it. So they're. Verse 10, you know, looking at that, Peter's got it point blank. Like, why are we putting something on on these people that we can't even hold on? And yep. he just called everyone out, including himself and and everything he grew up with. He, like, we can't do it. You know we can't do it. We're pretending like we can. We're pretending like that earned us some salvation, but you know it's not. Yeah. That's not it. Yeah, he's reminded that that wasn't even the point of a lot. The point of a lot was to make us realize that we could do it, our fathers could do it. Let's not put that on them. Um, real quick, I want to go back to Genesis and uh, read where this sign of circumcision was given. Genesis 17, or 10 through whatever, I stop that. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Talking to, to Abram. Abraham at this point. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. It's a sign of the covenant. This is the first covenant, remember? And every male among you is eight years old, shall be circumcised throughout your generations, a servant who is born in the house, or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house and who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has, a, he has broken my covenant. 
ye catch the, the double entendre there, he shall be cut off for my people, um, just as he would be um, cut off if he embraced circumcision. And so circumcision had a, a, a double meaning. It had a, a positive and a negative. So in a, a negative sense, or in a positive sense, um, it would illustrate that they had been cut off from um, the, the wrath of God, cut off from the penalty of their sin. Um, and this covenant that they're embracing that Abraham's a part of, but in a negative sense, they would be um, cut off the, the blessings of God, the salvation of God, if they were to embrace this, this sign of the covenant. And so it's this kind of, um, this would certainly be in the minds of the people that were, were having this discussion, that were engaging in this debate and dialogue that um, they need to be um, circumcised so they're not cut off not recognizing what the covenant was that it was with Abraham for a specific purpose for the land, for the seed, for the blessing. Um, this was a first covenant, but Christ had inaugurated, initiated a, a new covenant in his blood. All right. So we wrap us up in prayer. All right. I will do it. Oh, Dean's going to do it. Thank you. Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you for directness and sharpness. And uh, I thank you for our body of believers that you brought together here in this, this state, in this town. And we're just grateful to have each other and to learn your word, to discuss it amongst each other, and to, to be in this as one, as one life. We thank you for your grace and your mercy today. We ask you to continue working through our hearts, Lord. Continue perfecting us through your Holy Spirit. May we not think it's of our own selves, but may we glorify you and all your good that you do through us. May you use us, Lord, to share your gospel uh, to those around us, to those who need it. Everyone that we come in contact with, may they realize it's an opportunity. And give, us, give us the hearts, give us the obedience, uh, convict us, Lord, and bring us to that. May we do it with joy and eagerness to those that we know and those that we don't. We pray for we pray for our church, Lord. We pray for your church being with us through, through all that we do in your name. We pray in Jesus. Amen.